Hello. How's it going? It's it's going pretty good. That's great. Yeah. Uh, How are you? Good. Today we're joined by a cacophony of tiny friends. Little birds. Yeah. That hang out in a bush outside my window. Yeah, which I feel like you can sometimes hear them in our recordings. I, I often will try to kind of clip them out, but they're pretty noisy today. And like, I feel like out of all the sounds that you could have in the background, tiny birds aren't the worst. Just imagine us as Disney princesses. Exactly. They follow us everywhere. They clean our messes. They represent innocence. Yeah. A graceful connection to nature. Mm-hmm. We got that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so what are we talking about today? We're talking about the Questlandia remake, giving kind of a, a progress report. In particular, we're going to be talking about some of the unplanned mechanical changes we're bringing into this remake. Yeah, we're kind of talking about how, like, when you make a change, the game mechanics are just so interconnected with each other that it it just inevitably often causes this cascade. Yeah, we have several cascades to go over. Yeah, and it's not like bad. I feel like this is like, oh, it's bad. Oh, Questlandia has gotten no. out of our control. It's just, it's just what it's what happens. It's just a consequence of wanting it to be as good as it can be consistently. It just kind of forces you to not let something remain as just like a band aid. It's like, no, if this is what's going to change, everything else needs to be changed to fit it. I feel like it makes sense that these are the changes we would need to make now, because in the first Questlandia, some of these things were things where we were like, oh, this is like the best that we can think of right now. This isn't the exact mechanic that we want, right? but we're, we're tiny babies. We can't do any better. Yeah, wah, wah. <laughs> wah, wah. <laughs> so now it's, you know, it's like if you're going to go through the trouble of making what's essentially a second edition... You got to cut down on the wah-wah, I think. Or secretly dial it up. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So what are we talking about first? So let's start with a couple structural challenges, plans, uh, things that have been giving us trouble. One thing that we just promised, because we're like, that's a cool thing to do, is making the rules uh, like play as you go, learn as you go, learn as you play. Uh, wait, I don't think we promised that. We didn't. No, I don't think so. Sorry, your cat just sneezed. Um, <laughs> there's a lot of there's a lot of Disney princess action going on in this room today. Um, no, uh, we we did not. I I think it's something we've talked we about. We promised it to ourselves. Yeah, yeah, huh? but I don't think that was something where like if you go to the Kickstarter page, it's not like play as you go, play as you read. <laughs> Learn play, as you play. play. <laughs> Actual play. Um, but it was one of our goals, yeah. for sure, that people who've never played the game before could open up the rule book and follow along with it as they're playing their first game. 
learning as they go. Yeah. Because I think we described the original Questlandia as like no prep. Right. Which is a weird, I don't, it's just a weird word because what does no prep actually mean? I feel like in the ideal world, no prep doesn't mean like, oh, you don't have to take extensive, like you don't have to come up with NPCs first. You don't, right. I, like in the ideal world, it means like you are just sitting down at the table. Naked as the day you were born. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. No prep. <laughs> you don't need to own this book. <laughs> <laughs> You're a literal baby, <laughs> yeah. new to the universe. Exactly. Play in Questlandia. We all come out play in Questlandia. <laughs> <laughs> I know we certainly did. So, yeah. The so it sounds nice to be able to just be like, "What's this game? We'll play it. We'll figure." I I don't know why I can't get this term stuck. Play, on play as you play. We're gonna learn as we play. Yeah. Let's just get going, and we'll read the book. And it's going to guide us through. But as we started to write this out, it's like we immediately ran into roadblocks. We got stuck so fast and like much faster than I expected. One of the big questions is like, are we distinguishing readers who are going through that experience from other readers? Are there special rules is there special text in the book to talk to people who are playing for the first time, reading as they go? And so what that would look like is like a call-out box, being like, if you're learning as you read, if you're playing as you go... <laughs> we'll come up with a word eventually. <laughs> then read this part aloud and skim over this part, right? Yeah. Like... You don't have to completely memorize all these rules first. Yeah. But we ended up starting to write this really, like, um, kind of wooden book. I, it was really weird. It was like we were writing, we would write this box that's like, read this aloud. If you're playing as you go, if you're le learning as you play, read, <laughs> read this aloud. And then right below it, we'd sort of just restate the same thing. Like, right. now here's the rules. And... And we were like, this is adding so much confusion. And it could be that already we were on the right track. Basically, like, we were already making the book that we wanted to make and make it so you really could sit down and play this with very minimal prep, where somebody could just be sort of reading it out loud. And, you know, our combination of what we hope is good graphic design and large enough text and just really clearly labeled sections will already do that. There's often a person at a table when you're learning a game with new people who is the sort of de facto rules guide. Maybe they've read the rules before. Maybe they just tend to be more familiar with rules, but they're the person with the Maybe book. Maybe they're just that guy. They're just that guy. <laughs> uh, and that person might be making some choices on their own about what rules to share and which rules they're skimming over and like determining like, okay, do we need to go over this yet? Or like, should we read these examples out loud for everybody? Should I summarize this section or read it exactly as written? The difficulties around this end up tying into the difficulties around choosing a voice for these rules altogether. We're constantly struggling between 
a desire to be very conversational, friendly, and casual, and a desire to be succinct, clear, precise in our language, and like complete. Yeah. That's tricky. That's tricky to do. And it's all the more tricky when you're like, now I'm talking to the players doing this, and now I'm talking to the players doing that. If this is your first time ever playing, if this is your repeat play, but you're the rules guy, or if you're just any player, it it gets to the point where I'm like, how do rules even exist for anyone ever for any game? Right? Do we address people in the you voice or the we voice? Is a... Now we are making a kingdom. We go back and forth about that. I yeah, feel like sometimes it's like, hey, we're at the table this. with you. Yeah, we're hey, playing too. You know, we're just, uh, <laughs> we're just, we're your pals, Hannah and Evan. We're your guys. Um, <laughs> um, but other times we also want to use we in the sense of like we the authors. Yeah. Sometimes it makes sense to be like, like we put in this rule so that this happens like this. Yeah. But then that's like a whole different we. So difficult. It's difficult stuff. And I think one of the things that's really left to do in the book right now is a whole pass of making sure that whatever we've chosen is our tone, our cadence for the book, is consistent. I think it's varied by section and over time. Well, and we also have like a third voice at play here. There's sort of like, (laughs) I mean, there's, it's like, there's my voice, there's your voice, there's kind of this draft voice and this idealized voice was so maybe that's three and then there's like the voice from the past of the original questlandia right and that's a battle too because some some sections were like oh, this reads pretty well we're gonna just grab this section and other things were like oh it it really like swings between don't you worry players if this part sounds stressful it's not you'll learn more about that later <laughs> than a rule that you never learn later um <laughs> and also like you know this part need not be we use need not be a lot we've said that before <laughs> apparently the book was written when the internet just came out and so we're just like visit www.questlandia.com that we don't we we didn't renew that domain, so if you go there, I don't know about it. Um, the the past yeah. voice is haunting us a little bit. Definitely, some sections are like we are writing a book, a role playing game. <laughs> Welcome to a <our> book. <laughs> Adventure awaits. Um. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and. Uh, you know, we kind of want to dial that back. Yeah, just a little bit. <laughs> and I'm like into a book that's written with like a a tone that fits its setting. Yeah. Questland is a little bit of an odd duck, though, because it's like it can have a lot of different tones, a lot of different settings. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great point. Because we really could lean into this sort of fantastical, serious writing, and that would be an appropriate mm-hmm. tone or something really casual. What's up, slimes? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why slimes. Slugs. My slug kings. <laughs> um, I mean, we're going into something that's like a, I don't know, a formal casual, casual formal. What's the word? Casual formal. Oh, like when they say that like a luncheon is 
when they say it's casual, but yeah. that still means you're kind of dressed up. Yeah, like, probably like, more formal than you ever have before. Oh my god! Like that one time that <laughs> <laughs> that one time that my dad was like, "Oh, do you want to go to your aunt Marilyn's?" I said, "Aunt," because it's Boston family, not California family. California uh-huh. family gets aunt. Uh, he was like, do you want to go to your Aunt Marilyn's 80th birthday party? And I was like, oh, I wasn't invited. I don't know. What's the, is there a dress code? And he asked the family and just like, you know, they said, just come as you are. And so I wore like the gayest, like cargo pants <laughs> and like a flannel. And my two cousins were in cocktail gowns. Mm-hmm. And I have never felt, oh God, I don't want to say I've never felt more embarrassed i actually have a list of the times that i felt more embarrassed but i felt so embarrassed and i was like why didn't they just say wear like a you know formal so questlandia like i don't want questlandia to be me at my aunt Marilyn's 80th birthday in boston in 2013 which was probably around the time we were working on questlandia whoa it's gotten a little I mean, bit. <laughs> no, it's like, it's very much the same with is what it? we're writing. It is, because it's like a, you know, their idea is like, oh, come as you are. It's casual, but obviously, you know, you'll be with other people. You've got to dress like you're going to be with other people <laughs> who you who you care about. you got to be presentable. So cargo shorts or whatever. It's like, what? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, We've written the cargo shorts of role-playing games. But that's kind of what we're doing. Like, we want our writing to be casual, but also with the sense of, like, well, this has got to be clear. Yeah. And this has got to be, like, respectful. So business casual. (laughs) Yeah. So we're kind of like, I don't know. Yeah, it ends up, it's pretty formal, but then it often strays into two wooden and I don't want to go around into loops yeah, about, I know. about right. this well, conversation. Well, okay, like so we gotta, it, this is an ongoing struggle. We're hashing it out. Yeah. We go back and forth. We'll get through it. You know, often, I the, the last thing that I'll say about it is often the best voice that we've ended up striking in this version is when we have a section written, we read it over, and we're like, oh, this sounds like too wooden, or this sounds too casual, it's not quite getting it, and... I ask you to describe for me the way that you describe teaching the game to players at a table. I'm like, just talk this out as if you're teaching Questlandia at a table. And then I type the notes. And even though it tends tends to be a little bit messy, that tends to be the best voice. And we often end up just sort of editing those sections in and keeping that. And I think that makes sense. That's a good transition to another struggle that oh, we have. Great. Though. All right, cool. Because we've talked about like my Aunt Marilyn's Boston <laughs> birthday party for <laughs> longer than I intended here. This is also a struggle about your Aunt Marilyn. Oh, yeah. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I got no beef oh, with no. Marilyn. <laughs> um, so we have an issue with overviews. Oh, yeah. This is a sort of does lead into this. <laughs> Which is that we look over like a chapter of the book and we're like, okay, this is a lot of sections. It's complicated. It's tricky. We need just like something up top that just gives an overview of what you're about to learn. Yeah. Totally normal behavior for writing rules. Yeah. In this section, (laughs) this is what you'll do. You're about to build a character or you're going to be learning about resolving scenes. Mm -hmm. But then... Well, when we start to write that short one, we're like, okay, well, we... We need to mention that you're going to be resolving scenes. There's going to be opposition and spotlight players. But, like, these are specific terms. And we don't want to just say, like, 
you'll learn about that term later. You'll learn about that term later. That has meaning that you'll learn about later. So it's like, okay, let's just briefly explain what the terms mean in these explanations. Yeah. And then we look at those brief, you know, we like tried to be very concise because we're still in this little overview section. We look at those brief little descriptions and we're like, okay, those are reading like too dry, too like, like you're sort of supposed to completely understand the concept at this point. We need to expand this out and like a little bit more conversational, a little bit more natural. (laughs) So we expand it out and then we're like, Wait, we just wrote the whole section. This is now a now complete our description needs of the an rules. Overview. Yep. <laughs> and so you you imagine a section of the book with a little overview up top, and the overview grows and grows until it becomes the section. The old section is deleted. The new section needs an overview, <laughs> which then grows and grows. And like some sections have been through that evolutionary process multiple times looping through it and it feels like like it's not wasted time necessarily like there might be some good coming out of this process but also overviews are tricky man yeah they're seductive just like oh yeah throw a few more words in that overview it's gonna be great (laughs) right because it's not enough it's like who needs the overview if it's just gonna be like in this section, we're going to make characters. Okay, like we know it's called character setup. We don't need to know that. So we need a little bit more. We say, in this section, you're going to need to make characters. The process of that means you do this and this and this. But it, it's just really, it's a delicate balance. Yeah, I mean, one thing that like really sets me off is redundant overviews where the chapters like, we're going to be making characters. And the first thing we do is draw some cards, and this card is the first step for making characters. All right, now that everybody's ready and knows what's coming up, it's time to make some characters. (laughs) First thing we do is make characters. (laughs) And like, after a certain point, I feel like I am trapped in a hall of mirrors. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I like to think that at least the process isn't pointless because the work that we're doing is like ultimately in service of like finding this voice and and figuring out the tone that we're going to strike. But we really did reach this point. I mean, something that happened in the past few weeks is that we we finished the first draft of the book pretty quickly. And we were like, we're awesome. All right, let's finish the second draft. And then it just like immediately stalled out. And it's also because like the first draft kind of let us skip over it. We didn't skip things, but we were like, well, it's a first draft. Like, yeah, the language here isn't perfect, but we're going to come back to it. It expresses what it needs to express. And the the leap between this first draft and second draft has been pretty substantial. Yeah, it really has felt more substantial than normal. And it's odd because like the first draft was a draft over a, you know. First draft or or, a a finished book. Finished book, right? (laughs) which itself was like a fifth draft or whatever. But for some reason, this gap has been enormous. And I think it's it might just be an expression of like how our tastes and our skills have changed over time. Like we're holding these words to a pretty high standard. Yeah. But the other thing that's making these 
this second draft so difficult is that some of the small seeming changes that we're pursuing have cascaded into pretty massive overhauls of some of the systems of Questlandia. And this stuff is pretty in the weeds. I feel like we have to give some some context for people who haven't read Questlandia about like what the rules used to be and how they're changing. Yeah. Do you want to start by like describing like maybe we could start with weakness. Like what was weakness in the original Questlandia? I'll try my best. <laughs> you know, my <laughs> it's like my memory for rules is pretty bad, even when there are rules that we've come up with. So in the original Questlandia, every character has, in addition to their traits and their goals and the obstacles to their goals, they have a weakness. And their weakness is kind of like how they are inclined to behave badly when things aren't going their way. Right. Uh, we had like six weaknesses, and and each one was mechanically non-distinct, um, which I'll say more about in a second. Uh-huh. Forward reference. But six weaknesses, it was like, give in, check out, lash out. I don't remember what the rest were. That was just three of them. Yeah. Give in, check out, lash out. Cheat. Cheat, give up. I don't know. Yeah. They, were, they were a little redundant. And then when you, so when you used your weakness in the game, you would get a misfortune token, which only comes in play in your epilogue at the end of the game. Uh-huh. And then also it would let you do something like re-roll any number of your dice when you used it the first time or re-roll any number of the opposition's dice. Right. Right? Yep. So we knew that we wanted to make some improvements to weakness, but we didn't really know how much of a cascade this was going to cause. I mean, I don't know that we even, there was too much of an improvement we wanted to make. They just came about while reading over the initial description of them. When you're designing your character and choosing what they do, when they're at the end of the rope. And I was reading it and being like, okay, all the other choices you've been making up to this point have had sort of like a tactical, mechanical thrust to them. Like, you might be thinking a little bit strategically about what you want to pick. And then comes a weakness section with six different choices, and there's no clear reason to prefer one over the other. And I felt like some people might be confused, like, okay, how am I supposed to know what to pick? Like, yeah. what what impact does it have? And really, and like, they're just flavorful. They're just flavorful. And so I was just thinking, like, all we need to do is put in a line that expresses, you know, this choice is just for the flavor that you want your character to have. You know, it doesn't make a difference. But as I was, like, starting to type those words, I was like, but what if? <laughs> <laughs> they weren't just flavorful. What if? Yeah. And thinking about that ties into an issue with the old weaknesses, which is when you do use that weakness to re-roll your dice, you're asked to describe what you're doing. Like, oh, I'm going to do my weakness of cheating and I'll wear a costume or whatever, fool the judges, and I'm going to re-roll my own dice so it looks like I performed differently. And like, okay, that's reasonable enough. The issue is that some of the weaknesses were very tough to justify why they were having certain mechanical effects. Like, oh, I'm going to check out, get depressed, go mope in my room, and that's going to make the opposition re-roll all their dice for some reason. 
really disrupts what they're trying to do. And uh, it felt like a stretch. It felt weird to describe. Yeah. But if we redid weakness so that each each form of weakness has a unique impact, it would definitely resolve that problem, right? And it would feel more meaningful that like, that's what my weakness looks like. But that has some other issues that we immediately ran into while thinking about it. One of them is that like having six different mechanics to suddenly learn at a point in the game when you don't even know no, about a dice at all yeah. is overwhelming. It's it's a big ask to ask players to choose something at the very beginning of the game that's going to have mechanical impact. Um, mm-hmm. Which is totally normal. Games do it all the time. Yeah, but it's weird. It is weird. It's kind of weird. I think some games do better than others at either uh, assuring you that whatever you choose is going to be okay, and then, you know, actually delivering on that promise, um, or giving you understandable summaries of what the choices are going to feel like later. Yeah. So there's a couple things we did to address this issue. And there's another issue, actually. Let me say one more issue before we talk about the solution. An issue is that, say we had one one form of weakness, let's call it cheating, and its effect was you re-roll your own dice. And then there's lashing out, and lashing out lets you re-roll the other people's dice, the opposition dice. Depending on what kind of rolls are happening in the game, one of those might be way better than the other. Your roll might already be good. And so it's much better to re-roll the opposition's dice. So if you're locked into one of them, you're going to have this sort of frustrating experience of like, oh, I just kind of chose the wrong right. weakness. I, and especially if you chose it because it really tracks with your character's personality. Right. But now your dice look great and the opposition's dice are stacked it's against like you. It's like you got and... sort of punished for following that urge. Yeah. All right. So we looked at that and we're like, okay, what if you can just use any weakness? You just can choose any one you want. That definitely solves the issue of getting stuck with a problematic weakness, but it also erases the flavorful, descriptive quality of having a character who does have a certain form of weakness. Which is, I mean, it's so, which is much more realistic that we all have these sort of go-to behaviors. behaviors I mean, yeah. you know, perhaps some listeners have no... <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> have no weaknesses. The present company accepted, of course. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I know what mine are. I know what yours are. And it's always been an interesting part of meeting a character in Questlandia as being like, and like, what's, what do they do when things get bad? Yeah. So how do we resolve all this? We ended up deciding to create a favored weakness. A familiar weakness is what we decided to call it. A weakness that is sort of your go-to behavior. And you're allowed to choose any weakness. But whenever you're using your familiar weakness, you'll get a bonus. You get to roll an extra die in addition to whatever the weakness naturally does. Yeah. Which is cool. It is cool. It makes you feel like, oh, I get like a big boost for doing my weakness. Yeah. (laughs) My signature weakness. Uh, check out. I don't remember if we took out check. Anyway, we also just reduced the number. We we reduced it from six to four. We yeah, like, oh, that was another is... part of simplifying all this and making it 
less overwhelming. Yeah. And then on top of all of that, we still, we scaled back on how punishing it is to use weakness in the game. It used to be that you had a part on your character sheet called a weakness track, and you have to mark every single time that you use your weakness. And then every single time you're rolling dice after that, an extra die is rolled against you for every mark. Oh, I didn't remember that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So okay. heaps of dice could get rolled against you. Yeah. Um, But there was an issue with that. Can you guess the issue? <laughs> well, I will guess that one of the issues is that on the final turn of the game, if you use weakness, it's not punishing. Right. It's not going to yeah. come and roll a dice against you in a future turn. The effect was... Do you like that I guessed it? Yeah. I mean, I thought <laughs> maybe like... you want maybe you want to put in like a little musical interlude or something <laughs> before you just give away the answer so that people can game design right along with us. You know? <laughs> we game design. You can too. <laughs> Did you think the issue was an unequal application of effects depending on what round of the game you're in? Ding, ding, ding. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, yeah, that was an issue. It's an issue. I mean, it's actually a big deal. It's like in the first rounds of the game, you're heavily discouraged from using weakness because it's going to punish you multiple times. Why? Yeah. Why do we want to do that? And also, characters using their weakness is really engaging. Like, don't want to strongly discourage people from doing it. There might be something to say for the side effects of that came with that issue, like the fact that you could use weakness and not care about the weakness track on the final round. Maybe it's kind of cool that you have like a, a free-for-all feeling during the final bit. I mean, often, you know, to I guess to make a counterpoint to our design decisions that we've made currently, which I have no issues with because I, I do like them and I think they're better. But often in the final round, your world is also totally falling apart. Um, right. But but I think also our we've endeavored to make like a slightly less cynical game this time around. So that yeah, in the interest of that, this this makes sense to me. Yeah, I don't think it's a case where there's like nothing of value being lost, but that excessive punishment for using weakness on your first turn was a, like, what's the word? I want a word for this. Like, it's like a mechanic that exists as a consequence of the other mechanics, but it's never stated outright. It is not a clear, forward-facing presentation of these rules. Mm. It takes like, it's like you have to go through a second level of interpretation. Yeah. You know? I think the word is deep. It's deep. It's a deep rule. That's right. Yeah, deep. there we go. So the deep rules. Yeah. Some people, some very rule-minded people at the table might immediately be like, oh, I have glimpsed the deep rules. Don't use your weakness on the first turn. It's going to come back and hit you more and more. Yeah. You should only save that for the second turn. At the earliest. Yeah, just but go it's such a stinker. On the third turn, yeah. just do it no matter what. Because that is also, and sorry, I feel like I'm cutting you off, but just thinking about that, I feel like it's also very punishing for a player like me who tends to not. Like, I am not a deep rules player. Well, this, that's I'm, the huge issue with deep rules. Yeah. Deep rules. <laughs> I'm really enjoying this phrase. Like, 
the huge issue is that they are applied unequally to different players. And like, I've had an issue, I've mentioned this before in the podcast, of delighting in deep rules, like impacts of rules that are never stated and are not like a first order part of what they do, but a second order understanding of like, oh, and as a consequence, the second thing is incentivized. And like, you know, I feel like somebody needs to like, like flick my head a little bit or something every time I try to do that and just be like, uh, uh-uh, uh, no deep rules. Like, well, or, or we, um, <laughs> flick my head. Um, you know, somebody just no, be like, I little, know what you mean. You know, oh, that's so annoying. Do you remember when like, I don't know. That's like a grade school thing. Yeah, it's such right? a grade school thing. I need like, my grade if, if school bully. Thing, I need to hire him as an intern. Be like, no deep rules, no deep rules. <laughs> Stop flicking yourself. <laughs> hire your grade school bully as an intern. <laughs> Paid or unpaid. <laughs> I mean, Paid. I think he'll probably get the final say on that. <laughs> He's got a way. <laughs> what? Oh, shoot. Now I've lost my thread. Nice deep rule, you dingus. (laughs) (laughs) Well, okay. One of of the things that we have said before, because we have talked about this. We've never called them deep rules. But we have talked about the idea of letting go of some of the, like, caginess around not explaining them. Right. That in Questlandia, you know, it is okay to say, and on this turn... You'll want to go big or go home because this is the last turn of the game and you won't be able to use your tokens again. Um, Yeah. And I think that's better. I think it's like, it's part of making your rules accessible. It's like, I don't want this to be a quiz on how well you're interpreting rule interactions. Like, I just want everybody to be able to play the game and have the best experience that we can offer. So... In the world where we wanted to preserve the value of the weakness track, that would be a world where we're like, okay, we need to be really upfront about it and be like, don't use your weakness in the first turn. It's going to be a big issue. And once you're upfront about it, it starts to make clear how weighty your rules are. Where it's like, oh, we're telling people using weakness is different. It can feel it basically has three different rules depending on what round you use it. And like those three different rules are compounded with the four different kinds of weakness, which can then be used up to two times a turn. And you're like, why are we making such a big deal out of this? It should be simpler. Yeah. It's too much. That's too much to ask somebody to memorize. The only way you can get away with it is by hiding it in the depths. (laughs) And uh, for people like you, and then I get beat up. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> there's, I mean, obviously we're making a ton of little changes. You know, there's a lot that we're doing. I think we have time to talk about one more, one more way that this has cascaded or one more sort of mechanic that this connects to with some of the, some of the cascades caused by weakness. So let's talk about traits. Cool. It's interesting because we just mentioned that as an example of how in the character making process, you're doing these things that have mechanical impact, (laughs) that have distinct mechanical... And trades don't anymore because we're removing their mechanical impact. That's right. Yeah. Uh, 
So do you want to describe, I feel like I described in the last one, what weakness does. Do you want to describe what traits did? So in the original Questlandia, when you're making your character, you choose two traits for them from a list of 12. And those are traits that we had pre-written. And from then on, in every contest in the game, using those traits, if we can say like, oh, I'm being a daredevil, and that's one of my traits, using one or two of them can award you that many dice, extra dice to roll. So one of the issues we were having when we looked at the rules a second time when we were working on this pass is looking at the number of dice that are getting rolled and feeling like it's too much. It's just too much. There's so much accounting, yeah. all these different sources that you have to count up and track. You start with two dice by default, then you're adding an additional die for the protagonist, for your traits, for your relevant boost, for so many possible things. And then there's a ton of dice math that the opposition is doing. This is, there's a, a bit of history here, like coming up with the Questlandia dice resolution mechanic was tricky. We wanted multiple things to happen in a scene. We also wanted things to reliably go wrong. It didn't feel right to just have total victories in this game. It didn't match the setting. And so we were just racking our brains trying to think of like, well, we, we basically want there to be about three things that happen in a scene, but people can roll so many different numbers of dice and they match those dice against the other dice. And sometimes it's one thing or two things. And if it's four things, it starts to feel like too many. And if you don't get enough bonuses, then you don't have enough dice to even have two matches. And there was a turning point in that design process. We were like, what if we really just establish some rigidity and say, there's always three outcomes, never less, never more. And one of them will always go wrong. One of them you can never oppose. You can only, you, it's an auto loss, one of those three, but you, you get to determine which one that will be. So basically we had this vision of these three matches where you have two of them have opposed dice, the higher die wins. One of them has an unopposed die, where it's always going to be a loss. And then we were like, okay, but, you know, these various places that give you the bonus dice aren't adding up to enough to guarantee that that's the outcome you'll have. Sometimes somebody just doesn't have enough dice. And that's why in Questlandia, when you're calculating the dice, you start by default with enough dice to get that exact spread that we want to see. The spotlight player gets two dice. The opposition gets three dice. That's free. The basics are already there. And everything else is layered on top of that. So that decision made it so we were reliably getting the kind of outcomes to scenes that we wanted to see. But, you know, looking back on it now, some of the ways that you got bonus dice were lingering from before that point when we were trying to find ways to get players more dice, get them enough dice that they could consistently have enough. Yeah. Before we decided we're just going to give those for free. Traits were one of those. Traits can give you up to two dice every single turn on top of the two that you already start with. 
And they get you those dice in a way that's very samey. Yeah. You enact those same two traits over and over. And we were trying to do a balancing act in the design of these traits because we wanted them to be usable about half the time, maybe. We didn't put in one like smart. That was not a trait because besides that already being a kind of uninteresting word, it's also too easy to apply to every single contest in the game. Obviously, being smart's going to help. Yeah. It counts. You get a die for it. And so we tried to make ones that were a little more out there, that were a little harder to use. Highbrow. Notorious. Notorious. Um, That's like a mixed thing. And like Daredevil's one where it's like, okay, well, you're just going to it's it's pretty doable to make Daredevil relevant for every contest. Yeah. And so then it still had this issue of, I mean, like the idea that you could have the issue of being punished for choosing the wrong weakness if in a world where you just have one weakness. That's mm-hmm. not the mechanic we ended up making. Uh, it did have this issue of like, oh, if you felt like you'd picked the wrong flavorful traits... Like picked one that were ones that were hard to use in scenes. Like you just you got punished more than the person who was really good at using their daredevil. You're like, I don't know how to bring my highbrow in here. And there was um, also a clash with like the character feeling of like, ooh, seductive is one of them. I want my character to be seductive, but that doesn't necessarily mean I want to be seductive in every single contest for the rest of the game. However, I will be mechanically punished if I'm not seductive in every single scene. Yeah. And, you know, that ends up limiting how freeform you can be in choosing these traits and like describing the character you want to describe. So, you know, with all the buildup of this conversation, it seems kind of natural to take away the dice from traits. It seems like it solves a lot of different things. It was tricky for us to think of, though. We were really hesitant, really reluctant. It felt like a very basic core part of how Questlandia dice are used. So some of these conversations had started around also just the difficulty, like the possible implications of what some of these traits meant mechanically, because one of the traits that you could choose from was disabled. Yeah. And it was one that you know, at the time, I felt like putting that into the game had had meaning for me. Like, I think I was thinking about the role of, like, disability in my life or... Because I think when we made Questlandia, it would have, like, been probably been around the time that I had, like, learned about having, like, some congenital spinal fusion and was thinking about what that was going to be like, like, as a sort of progressive thing in my own life. And I was like, oh, like, I want to, you know, have disabled characters in this game. But uh, disabled is a mechanical trait, at least the way that it was working in Questlandia. It just wasn't, it it wasn't the place. That's Um, that's an awkward (laughs) role in there. It is um, to be constantly given a bonus die for your disability. So it also meant that people would be picking, like, you know, I'm the only psychic in the, you know, our psychic powers were curbed at birth, but because of my psychic disability, like it just wasn't, it wasn't great. Um, So removing it mechanically. And also like, because these were doing double duty as like narrative descriptors of your characters and 
mechanical tools for getting dice. It meant disabled was taking up basically a slot for your personality. Yeah, it's that's like, great. And it feels wrong. It yeah. feels like, oh, you're, it's like you have a, your character almost becomes one note. Yeah. Because you can only have one other actual descriptor of a personality trait. So I, yeah, it's like I can look at it and, and see where it came from and, and be like, oh, yeah, I can, I, I know what it, we were thinking at the time. Mm -hmm. But we want to have a game where you can have a disabled character who does other shit. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, uh, who doesn't have to also justify how their disability comes into play mechanically in the game. It's, it's right. just ends up being really weird. So, I mean, I think that it was looking at that trait disabled where we were like, what if we just, wait, we, dice don't have to be applied to traits. Yeah. Whoa. Wow. <laughs> we have so many dice anyway. Might not it really do helps anything with bad. The, uh, with the, the the flood of dice that are in this game. And it puts the emphasis on things that we're more interested in. Like, if you want extra dice on your turn, you're more likely to turn to your relationships and the people you care about. And also, it fits in with our new rules for weakness, which we removed the weakness track. It no longer has these compounding punishments. But that makes it easier to use weakness and more, more powerful. Not to mention, weakness used to be able to do two things. Now you can do four different things with it. That also makes weakness more powerful. So having fewer dice, but a more powerful way to adjust those dice after the fact, it's a form of balance. We like balance. We make balanced we, I hope we are getting there. <laughs> so, I mean, I look at this list of our notes for this episode and like, we only got through a fraction of the things that we were, that are on this list. I mean, I guess we've just been working. We've had our heads in the game for months. <laughs> we're working through this. We stuff. gave such a long overview. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And now we need an overview. So, this was our description of what will be in the podcast <laughs> so, today. Yeah. <laughs> so, getting into the episode. Uh, yeah, because there's a bunch of other things that. Like, so many things tie into these changes. There's changes that we've made to the way that relationships work in the game. There's changes that we've made to how you can use fortune and misfortune tokens throughout the game instead of them being this thing that just is like, pop, it's only relevant at the end. You get these nice tokens and yep. you don't even see them until you're all exhausted and really have to go to the bathroom. <laughs> we've changed the feeling of moving from round to round. We've changed the way that luck works. There was a starting luck quality of characters. It's, uh, I guess it's just a big project. It turned into a big project. It got big. <laughs> <laughs> and it, I, it hasn't, it hasn't gotten unwieldy. I feel so defensive. I'm like, we're still on track. It hasn't gotten unwieldy, but it's- I mean, I feel like we are, we're a little off our, like we had a secret plan. Yeah, our Which, secret plan was like, oh, we're going to just finish the book in like a month and deliver it six months early. It's going to be so good. We're going to be so good and fast. We're <laughs> the best people who have ever done a Kickstarter. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that's how we do our secret planning sessions. <laughs> 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 Are you ready? 
<laughs> to make some secret plans. <laughs> okay, don't let anybody know, though. Well, I guess everybody knows our secret plan now because it's fine to reveal it because it's not going to... I think we'll be on time. We're going to be on time. Oh, well... Knock. Where's I have? There's. I need wood to knock on. I, this is my only superstition. <laughs> oh, okay. Hopefully, we'll be on time. Hopefully. But yeah, it's it's you know. <laughs> All right, now I'm stressed. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like it does still feel like it feels like we're still holding to our goals on what this will be. It still feels like it's going to be Questlandia. It's not a sequel. It is the original game, but just refined. And ideally, it's the kind of thing where there's nobody out there in the on the planet who knows Questlandia so well, even, that they're going to be like, oh, these changes are so shocking, you know, like, that, that maybe they'd have to kind of do a side-by-side. And when doing that side-by-side, they'd be like, oh, this is actually cool. Yeah, traits no longer, I don't know. But... Uh. Yeah, one of my goals is that, like... A little bit of the awkward charm of the original could be preserved. And I don't know. It sounds nice as a goal until you're like spending hours pouring over an awkward part and being like, oh, why? Why is it like this? (laughs) Yeah. Well, maybe we can just assume that because we're writing it, some of the awkward charm of the original is going to be preserved. Yeah. (laughs) So... I guess we'll have to do a part two to talk some more about these changes. They're interesting. I want to talk about them. Uh, I want to make people listen. I want to command their time. Yeah. I'm that guy. (laughs) (laughs) So, (laughs) I don't know. Tell us what you think about... If you'd like to stop me... Evan must be stopped, and you can stop Evan by tweeting at designdocpod or by emailing designdocpod at gmail.com. You can stop me directly <laughs> at Adron Novel on I, Twitter. I don't think we've been sharing our personal Twitters anymore. People oh, we can stopped? find them. I don't know. You can share it. That's fine. I'm sharing mine. This is how I'm going to get in contact with my old bully. (laughs) At me, bro. At me. (laughs) The Design Doc intro-outro theme was written by our friend, Pat King. Thanks, Pat. Design Doc is hosted by the One Shot Podcast Network. I feel like you're really good at enunciating your T's. I like kind of drop Podcast off the Podcast Network. Network. One Shot brings you other great shows like Iron Etta Reforged Puppet Strings. Oh, your cat's scratching on the scratcher. <laughs> She's just going in town on the scratcher. She's like never scratched She's on that one before. She's never used that scratcher before. So now she's using it at the very end of our podcast. <laughs> uh, all right. Iron Etta reforged puppet strings. Ragnarok is coming, and it's you. Join creator Tracy Barnett and performers Alex Flanagan, B. Zelda, and Jeff Stormer as they navigate a Norse cyberpunk city to accomplish their ultimate goal, the fall of the gods. Part actual play and part playtest. 
Puppet Strings gives you a look behind the scenes of the development of Iron Etta Reforged and into the minds of four amazing designers. That's twice as many designers, twice as many amazing minds. Yeah. I'm sorry, I was only laughing because I all because I kept accidentally saying Iron Eddie. <laughs> Iron Eddie. <laughs> Give a listen to Iron Etter Reforged. Puppet strings. This podcast is possible because of Patreon. Well, not really Patreon itself, but really the people who have used it. Yeah, F Patreon. <laughs> yeah. Like, it's the people. We are releasing on our Patreon, uh, we started releasing a few different things. One thing we started doing is just recording little, what do you call a recording that isn't a podcast? Bonus content. We've started releasing bonus content of us just talking about our lives and what we're into, what we're doing. It's like, it's like a public, semi-public diary hangout session. We also just released a massive discussion <laughs> of Ready Player One. We both read through the book and discussed our thoughts on it. Our thoughts are many. And then we watched the movie. Then we watched the movie. And that's coming out today. Part two is coming out. I think our bonus content is like, I think it's been pretty good. I feel like we're... we're we're doing pretty good by our patrons. <laughs> we also release games in early states, you know, like when they're still bad. So like... Let's <laughs> just entice the heck out of you. <laughs> Learn about our lives. Get some bad games. <laughs> Sometimes we release little games entirely for free for our patrons. Well, yeah. Any games that we release on Itch.io that are like, you know, a few few dollars we patrons get for free. So... All this and more could be yours. You know who's who who is now has who's, it. Who's now our is... new patron, Joe? <laughs> Thank you, Joe. Thanks, Joe, for becoming a patron. Huh. Felt like there was more. It really felt like it was leading up to something. Thanks, Joe. Maybe, could you have like a little sound effect, like a little ding -a -ling -a -ling. like one of those little like those like birthday things? That's like. <laughs> yeah, I always say that I'm going to add the sound effects. I don't think I ever have. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to keep believing. If you want to experience the Patreon firsthand, I'd recommend going to patreon.com slash turtlebun. Also, just last thing before we go, if you haven't seen the Itch.io bundles that are up right now, there's two, more than two, I think there's like three mm -hmm. um, huge TTRPG and video game combo bundles. Uh, there's a, a massive TTRPG bundle for trans rights in Texas up on Itch.io. We have a bunch of our games in there. I think Noirlandia, Dim the Man, Save the Music, and a bunch of our zines like uh -huh. Mud and You an Astronaut. So that's $5. You can get most of the games we've ever made and and 423 other games for $5 and support trans rights, which are under attack right now. Also, there are multiple bundles up on Itch.io for supporting aid organizations and welfare organizations in Ukraine. We've got Questlandia in the larger of the two Ukraine bundles. In the Necrosoft bundle. Yeah, which yeah. also comes with a bunch of video games. I'm going to buy that bundle. That bundle looks great. Yeah. So, <laughs> I mean, if you can, you know, the, the total cost of those is 15 bucks. If you have money like that to spare, it goes to a really good cause. 
And if you do not have money for the trans bundle and you are a queer person, just send us a message and we will buy you the trans bundle. It's five bucks and you get so many awesome games and we would just love to get it for you. So just let us know on Twitter or something. That's all for today. That's what we got. Thanks, heroes. Bye. Bye.